Hello and a very warm welcome. You're listening to Search for Truth. This week our Bible teacher Brian Johnston brings us the fourth programme in this series which Brian's called Knights of Old. In this programme Brian will mention men who held great power and influence and empires and dominions equally magnificent. But our Bible narrative reminds us that there is a person and a power greater than any that this earth can boast. One who is omnipotent, that's all-powerful, all-seeing, invincible and supreme. It's the one true God. So let's go to Brian now from the night when the writing was quite literally on the wall. The Battle of the Nile was one of the most decisive naval battles ever to have been played out. In one night, it altered the course of world history, denying Napoleon his eastern empire and crippling him at sea. Even before Napoleon's conquest of Egypt had begun, British intelligence had discovered his intentions and sent Admiral Nelson off to frustrate them. He joined battle with the French when he learned of their presence up the coast from Alexandria. The custom of the day discouraged naval battle at night, but that was only the first of the surprises Nelson had in store for the French. British ships edged between the shore and where the French fleet were moored. The French had believed they were safe from attack from that side and had moved all their cannons to face the open sea. Within 20 minutes, the three leading French ships had been silenced. By 8pm, the first five ships had surrendered. At the height of the battle, some 2,000 guns roared. Nelson himself was struck by flying debris and a flap of skin was torn from his head, falling over his one good eye. Temporarily blinded, he was led below under the impression that he was dying. He nonetheless refused treatment ahead of his men and insisted on waiting his turn. Shortly before ten that night, an unprecedented event took place, one which Nelson insisted on being led up on deck to watch. Napoleon's flagship, the Orient, had been mercilessly attacked and by nine o'clock she was seen to be on fire. Poorly disciplined sailors had left buckets of tar and paint lying on deck and these were now ablaze. Soon it was obvious that her vast stores of gunpowder would detonate. When the Orient did blow, the sound was heard 32 kilometres away and the glow was seen in Alexandria. It was an explosion rarely seen in these days before weapons of mass destruction. For some 20 minutes, the stunned ships stopped fighting, horrified at the carnage that had just taken place. The British sent a ship to rescue the French sailors. Then fighting recommenced and continued until dawn. As a result of that sea battle at night, the French were cut off in Egypt, unable to resupply themselves or to leave. Napoleon's dreams of conquering India were shattered. But it was not the first time that a battle and an empire were lost by night. With the help of the Bible, I want to take you back to the last hours of the once great Babylonian Empire. Night is falling over the great city of Babylon, with its buildings and towers and the Euphrates River flowing through it. Here are the hanging gardens, built by Nebuchadnezzar for his bride, homesick on the flat Mesopotamian plains for the mountains of her native land. This is not just any night, for on this night 
there's to be a great banquet, a banquet for Belshazzar and a thousand of his lords and nobles, their ladies and their wives and their concubines. Imagine a banqueting hall in keeping with the splendour of a world empire. With the guests all seated and the banquet underway, Belshazzar decides to startle his guests with an unheard-of performance. He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. What a grand defiance! What a royal joke! To drink to the health of the heathen gods, the gods of silver, gold, iron, brass, wood and stone, with the cups dedicated to the worship of the Most High God. Where was the God of the Hebrews? He was nearer than anyone thought as suddenly, over against the lampstand, illuminated clearly by its light, the king saw to his horror the fingers of a man's hand writing on the wall. The king's face had then drained of all colour and his knees had begun to knock. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Those were the words the fingers left behind on the wall, but no one could read them. The writing was there, plain upon the wall, but it was too much for the wisdom and superstition of Babylon. Then the queen remembered the old Hebrew statesman who had served under Nebuchadnezzar. The queen was not present at the banquet, for it would hardly be a fit place for her. But when the news was brought to her of what had happened, she came in and told the king about Daniel, who was able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. The king then gave an order that Daniel should be brought in, and soon an old man made his appearance. What a contrast between this Hebrew statesman and prophet and Belshazzar and his revellers. As Daniel stood there, I imagine his strong, God-fearing countenance with its white locks surveying the spectacle of debauchery and recent hilarity but now frozen in terror and dismay. And Daniel was candid as he gave the interpretation of the writing on the wall. O King, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendour. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You are the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, 
which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is what these words mean, Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Belshazzar is an example of a man who refused to be taught and would not be warned. In that brief and powerful sermon, Daniel reminded the king of the pride and blasphemy of his predecessor upon the throne, Nebuchadnezzar, and how God had dealt with it. Yet, unwarned by that, Belshazzar had gone one worse than Nebuchadnezzar and had exalted himself to a climax of infamy and blasphemy by drinking wine out of the cups from the Jerusalem temple. Neither Belshazzar nor anyone else goes to his doom unwarned. Belshazzar suddenly, on that night, saw a hand writing on the wall. It was writing his judgment and his doom, the last chapter in his history. Nothing could now be changed, nothing altered. Weighed in the balance of his wives and concubines and the thousand revellers at his banquet that night, Belshazzar was not found wanting. His guests had surely been enjoying the grandeur and the debauchery of it all. For as Jesus said, people love the darkness. But it's not the judgment and balance of this world that counts, but God's judgment and God's balance. Weighed in that balance, Belshazzar was found wanting. What if the hand should now appear and write upon the wall of your room? How would it find you? Would it find you wanting, or would it find you trusting? God weighs us in the balance. He's the searcher of every thought, the discerner of every secret, the observer of every act. All of us, weighed in his balance, searched by his judgment, are most definitely found wanting. But God has provided for us a weight of righteousness that's not our own. The Apostle Paul said that God has wiped out the handwriting of requirements or writing of the debt that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. May I ask you, what's your response to that? Have you acknowledged before a holy God that as well as the writing on the cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, there was other handwriting too, seen only by the eye of faith. Do you believe that the extent to which you've offended God was written there, nailed to the cross of Jesus, and it's as though God looked upon the death of his son and then wrote, paid in full, over the writing of the debt, your debt. But have you turned to God yet and trusted for forgiveness in his son, Jesus Christ, the only saviour? Again, may I ask you to think about this. When the hand begins to write, Will it stop with that sentence, 
you are weighed in the balances and found wanting? Or will it add, but found trusting in Christ? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? I certainly hope so, for there is nothing else in this life which we can trust with our eternal destiny. Remember, as a poet has written, when self-esteem or others' adulation would cunningly persuade us we were something above the common level of our kind, the grave gainsays the smooth complexion flattery and with blunt truth acquaints us what we are. The Bible also tells us in Psalm 103, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. If you would like to know more about the Christian faith, and what it could mean for you, please do get in touch. You might like to study the programmes in this series with the help of a transcript booklet. You can obtain it by requesting the title Knights of Old, and you can order by email or by post, and here's our contact details. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may be interested to know as well that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by audio podcast mp3 versions. Just go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com and you can browse the list of previous talks which has been sorted into categories to help you to find what you're looking for. So now, on behalf of Brian Johnston, our sound technician, David Shaw, our singers and everyone else at Search for Truth, God bless, goodbye and thank you for listening.